Ephesians 5 and verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Now, you may be thinking, what in the world? Right? You might have flinched a little bit on that first one. Uh, But the Lord, as we were coming into talking about the church, and then last week closing with the scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 and 27, uh, that now you are the body of Christ and individual members in it. And we talked about how it's difficult to be part of the body of Christ. It's difficult to be part of the church, but anything that's worth doing is got some difficulty tied into it, right? But the benefit exceeds the burden and everything in that space is value. So the value of the body of Christ. We talked about the two lies that we don't need to believe. One is that I don't need the body of Christ. I don't need the church. And the other lie is the body of Christ doesn't need me. The church doesn't need me. And we we were able to look into the beauty of our united diversity, that we are diverse, we're, we're different, but he brings us together in unity in the body in a way that only he can uh, brought, brought together by Christ himself. Each one of us different, each one of us gifted, and each one of us connected. And, and we're seeking more understanding and revelation on what the church is, what the body of Christ is, so that we can better be what it is that we have become, right? So we can learn to walk rightly in what he has placed us in. We've used the example many times. When, I, uh, when, when Kelly delivered uh, that first baby, Abby, when she comes out, starts crying, I became a dad. I became a father. I didn't yet know how to be one, right? And so I had to learn to be what it is that I had become. And, and, and we're going to talk about some of that in Christ's church. And in our passage for today, this line that as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That just kept coming to me over and over in my heart and in my mind. And so I went to the passage and I read, and it's generally used to teach about what? Marriage. It's the point of his letter where he started to move into application of the gospel in your life and instruction on how, how it's best to live. And it's usually used to, to teach about marriage, considering Christ in the church, but teaching about Marriage, but the Lord showed me that it's teaching us much more about Christ in the church than we can give it credit for most of the time. It's teaching us much more about Christ in His church as it's looking at marriage, and it says it's a profound 
mystery. And again, sometimes you hear that passage itself and, and you flinch because obviously it's been used uh, and misused uh, at times uh, to, to hurt people. Uh, And so I want to bring the good out of it today. We're not going to talk about the husband and wife application because I don't have enough time. Uh, If there's if there's questions there, we got the question box and we'll be coming back this way again uh, to look at it from that other side. I know that we will. And, And talking about relationships and how our relationships are affected by Christ and how we've been redeemed. But in verse 32, it tells me. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. That, that it, it means to not only talk about marriage, but illuminate for us Christ and the church. Marriage isn't the mystery. It's that it's anything like Christ in the church. And he said, this mystery is profound. So we're going to look over into that today. Mystery, not, not, not necessarily something that's hidden from us, but something that God is revealing to us. Amen. And it says first that Christ is the head of the church, which means everyone else, everything else comes under him. The son of God who was preeminent in all of creation is also preeminent in the church. He existed before it. He created it and he alone sustains it. Amen. He directs its path. He takes responsibility for its well-being. Christ is the head of the church. And then it says something about Christ alone there in verse 23. It says he is the savior of the body. You know, it doesn't say that, that the husband is the savior of the body. It says Christ is the savior of the body the church. Now that word savior, when you look over into it, it means the deliverer and the preserver. He not only delivers the church, but he also preserves it. You've got the savior who is the deliverer and the preserver. He brings it out of darkness and he keeps it in light. He doesn't just get you out. He keeps you in. Somebody say amen. It says he is the head of the church. Well, what is the church? If we're using that word, you know, because it can mean a lot of things. And that, and that might be an interesting conversation to have on one of our early morning talks. What, what is the church? Basically, the, the word church means the called out ones. It's this image of somebody going into the village and calling everybody out of their houses into, into the open space and into the square where they would gather together. It, it, it's the called out ones that are called into an assembly, both the local gathering and the church universal. Quick little note here about the church universal and some terminology you may hear about that. The word for universal that is used uh, sometimes when talking about the church is Catholic. Not the Roman Catholic Church. That's a denomination. But the Catholic Church it means at its root, at its base, that term means the church universal, which means the folks in Honduras are just as much a part of the same church in Christ that I am and that you are anywhere else in the world. Any other time since Christ has been a part of the church is a part of that Catholic universal church. They just sneaked around and put it in their name. That's what they did. They they use it and that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. We could talk about them a whole other day. That might be a question box question one day. 
Catholicism, but, but the Catholic church means the universal church. And he is a savior of the body. He's the head of the church. And now why is that important? Because he doesn't change. Scripture says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Behold, I'm the Lord. I change not. Have you ever heard anybody say, I just don't like change? Right? I just don't like change. I don't like for things to change. I don't like change. Maybe you were made to be with the one who changes not. Maybe you were made for one that's the same yesterday today and forever and all that chaos. When we're talking about change, we're talking about chaos and being unprepared for it. Maybe you were made for the one that doesn't change because he is the same. So therefore, what saves, delivers and preserves you in the church, that doesn't change either. That doesn't change either. We're not having an election to see if he's still in office. We're not having somebody else come in who may have a different way of doing things and want to change it up. No, no, no. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is the head and the savior of the church. Again, so what saves you, delivers you, redeems you, and secures you does not change across all generations until the end of the age. He is the head and the Savior, and that stands for all time and all generations. It says in verse 24 that the church submits to Christ. Now, the church submits to Christ or puts itself under him, not by force, but in willing gladness under his authority and under his care. It is his way, not my way. It is his word, not my word. And that, as that idea in most areas of our life can be intimidating. To be put under submission to anybody who's not me, right? Because I, when, I, when I submit to anyone else, I become vulnerable. I become vulnerable and it requires a great amount of trust and faith in whatever it is you're submitting to or that you're coming underneath of in order to do that. And that's why this next part throws some people in verse 24 B. You know, it says Christ, the church submits to Christ. So also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. Everybody goes, whoa, everything. It's, it's when we feel that vulnerability, Right. And what's it talking about? It's saying that it's talking about order in the house, just like there's order in creation, just like there's order in the Godhead. And again, we're not going to get off into that today, but we are going to say what will apply to both. Why is is being under that order? It's just say being underneath Christ in submission to Christ. What makes that a blessing and not tyranny? What makes that a blessing and not slavery? What makes that a blessing and not oppression? And the answer is in verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as what? Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Love and not just love, but sacrificial love. So in regarding authority, Christ had the authority, Christ has the authority, Christ will have absolute 
authority. And what do we normally say comes with uh, absolute power? Absolute power corrupts? Absolutely. Right? That's the same because we're talking about us. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. When somebody's in full uh, charge and they have nobody that they are submitted to, they're usually corrupted. They become very self-serving at the uh, pain and uh, persecution of others to the detriment of others. But Christ has this absolute authority. And what did he do with this absolute authority? I'm going to flip my page one time over to Philippians chapter 2. And it says there in Philippians 2 and verse 6, ad- telling us to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what did he do with this absolute authority? He took on the form of a servant and served us the the humanity that he was born in the likeness of. And this is just, we see the beautiful picture of the gospel that Jesus Christ loves his church, loves his bride and gave himself for her. Second Corinthians 521 says he made him who did not know sin come the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Him who did not know sin for us became sin so that in him, us being in him, that's that church part, we might become the righteousness of God in him. He didn't do it out of duty. He didn't do it out of requirement. He didn't do it even just out of commandment. He did it out of what? He did it out of love. He gave himself for his bride out of love. And it continues on that he gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He gave himself for her, the church, which you and I as believers are a part of. Amen. To make her holy, which means set apart, sanctified, consecrated, cleaned, guilt removed. Took the wrong off of us. He makes a pure bride out of broken pieces. He makes a pure bride, a a, a whole Bride, nothing broken, nothing missing. Out of a mess, he puts this thing together. And it said, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. We can even see the picture of baptism in here, right? Washed and also 
uh, baptized into the family of Christ. And just like when we baptize, we, we, we speak words over the person being baptized. He speaks a word over his body, over the church, a better word spoken over his bride. He rewrites her story. He takes the wrong off of her and puts his right onto her. Clean and acceptable and appropriate. And for what purpose? Why did he do this? It says to, to, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Why would he do it? Verse 27. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle. Or, and I'm in the CSB if you want to follow along with mine exactly. Without spot or wrinkle or anything like that. <laughs> But, hope, but to present her holy and blameless. To present her to himself in splendor without spot, so without fault, without impurity, without something that would be less than desirable, or without wrinkle. And I used to think that meant the same thing. And then I dug on it a little bit, and I was like, when do you get wrinkles as you get older, right? It's talking about that word is used for wrinkles on the face. I saw my own face in the rearview mirror the other day driving. And I had been like leaned over or something. And I looked up and I was like, who is that? <laughs> right? Because you have a mental picture of yourself. And then sometimes you see yourself as you actually are. And it doesn't line up with that mental picture that you have. And I was like, huh? But it says he presents his bride without spot, so fault, impurity, anything that would be less than desirable, or wrinkle, meaning ageless and eternal. It doesn't grow old, which in our age, we can, our bodies can become corrupted, if nothing else, other than just by age. But without spot or without wrinkle, he presents his bride, which means it's his for all times, ageless, unending. And then, or, or any such thing, any such thing that would be undesirable, he removes it. See that? He removes it by the washing of the water, by the word. He removes these things, making the body holy and blameless. And this is just a reminder that he's working on us so that our condition, how we are, matches uh, our position, who we are in him. And we're in that already, but not yet where I am redeemed. I am blood bought. I am a member of the spotless, wrinkle-less bride. And he's changing me day by day, glory to glory, by the power of the Holy Spirit to match that position. If I stand in front of him, my position is that. Here on this earth, my condition is improving to rise up to meet that by the power of the Holy Spirit as I behold him. Amen. And again, this, this picture of baptism uh, out of sin and into righteousness, out of exile and into fellowship. And you see how he jumps as, as we're reading this. It, husband and wife is in there. It is in there. But man, there's a whole lot more about Christ in the church in here. There's a whole lot more uh, illuminated to us about Christ and the church. 
It has in there what I'm supposed to do, but it compares it to what only he can do. It compares it to what only he can do. And and, and we see the gospel again shining in these passages that he is the one that does the work for the believer. He is the one who does the work for the church uh, to make her who she is, not because of our worth or because of its worth, but because of his worth and his great love for us, seeing us not as we were or as we are, but seeing us what we can be and will be in him. Romans says he calls those things that be not as though they were. He calls those things which don't exist as though they did exist. So he calls your righteousness into existence, even though you look at it and go, I didn't have any righteousness. He called those things uh, that be not as though they were. Let's look at verse 28. I got to pick it up. 28 through 30. In the same way, same way as what? All of that. Husbands are to love your wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever uh, hated his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church. Since we are members of his body. And so again, there's the instruction there for a husband, but it's in the same way as Christ does for the church. The same way that Christ loves the church, love your wife as your own body. No one hates his own flesh, but provides for it and cares for it just as Christ does for the church. And we're members of his own body. Again, remember last week, 1 Corinthians 12, you are the body of Christ and individual members in it. There's a group, y'all, that we're all individually included in and he loves his body. We can have trouble believing that sometimes about ourselves individually and even obviously about ourselves universally. We can have trouble believing that. But as he, he loves his body as his own flesh and it says he cares and provides for it. He cares and provides for you. He cares and provides for me. He cares and provides for us. And those words, looking over into them, the, the, the first one means to nourish to maturity or to bring up. It's this mother bird and baby bird picture of, of, of feeding the baby when the baby can't feed itself, teaching it to stand up, teaching it to fly, teaching it to mature and nourishing it into maturity. And then he provides for it. He warms it, cherishes with tender love and fosters with care the body of Christ. It says Christ does this for the church and we are members of his body. That's why he cares for it as his own body. You don't just come to church. You don't just go to the church. You are a part of the church. It's not just something that you believe that, that you, all right, I believe this and this and this. So I've acknowledged that and I, I'm saying that I believe it. it. It's something that you have been made a part of just like being made a part of his own body. I'm like that makes sense. He says it's a profound mystery. 
He says it's a profound mystery how it works, but, but the, the, the church isn't just something that you come to. It's something that you're a part of, just like being a part of the body. It'd be like your foot saying, well, I came to the, I came to the leg today. No, you're a part of it. You are a part of it. You, it's, it you're a part of it, an individual part of it. And again, we didn't earn our way into it. We can't keep our membership in it. We didn't earn our way in. We can't maintain it. If it's on us to maintain it, it's lost. Because we know us, right? Who's it on to maintain? He brought us in. It's on Him to maintain us. Aren't you glad? And see, that's this idea where people will say all the time, uh, I want to I get back in church. I want to get back in church. And they mean coming, right? Like today, like we're all here. There was somebody that probably said to themselves, I want to come back. Why don't you come? Why don't you come Sunday? <sighs> I can't, I just can't, I can't come right now. Why? Like you're going to be out of town? Like I just got, ooh, like you don't, I can't come right now. I got all this. I got to get straightened out. Like I can't come. I got to get ready before I can come. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is you don't have you can't get ready enough to come like you see yourself only that much. He can see even down to the, the, the thoughts and the desires that you forgot you ever had. And he sees all of them like you can never clean yourself up enough to come into his presence without the blood of Jesus Christ. And so if you just, you know, if you what's that old song and I, oh, I'll butcher it. So I'm not going to say it. If, if, oh, if we tarry until we're better, we'll never come at all. That's what it says. If we wait until we're better, then we'll never come at all. It's like, come, come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus is ready, stands to save you. Full of pity, love, and power. If you tarry until you're better, you'll never come at all. And of course, it's for me, it's uh, anytime somebody says, I'm, I think I'm going to pull up this Sunday. I'm like, I'll probably never see you. <laughs> That's like the worst thing somebody can say is, I think I'm, I I'm going to come to church on Sunday. I'm like, all right, well, I, I pray you do. But usually that means you're definitely not going to come. <laughs> anyway, he, the head of the body, loves the church and he gave himself to make her holy and clean so that she can become in splendor presented to him as she should be without spot, without wrinkle, holy and blameless. He provides and cares for his church, his body, his bride. Closing thought here because I've gone a little bit longer. Verse 31. For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And we read that a lot, right? It's from Genesis and Jesus even speaks, repeats this verse. A man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And we all know how we normally read that, right? It's not a mystery. It's how we normally read it. I think it's interesting that it says this reason a man will leave and be joined to his wife It doesn't say it the other way around. But then we look at verse 32, because you can't forget verse 32. 
verse 32 says, this mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So he just said, for this reason, a man will leave. And I know he's talking about it all together, but he just said, for this reason, quote in Genesis, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Then he says, this mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He lets me know that there's a deeper meaning here than just a man leaving his parents and to be joining to his wife and the two become one flesh. We read in Philippians, it said Christ in obedience to the father did what? Step down from where the father was, where he would have been at the right hand of the father to where? To where his bride was. To where his bride was so that he could be joined together with her who would be without spot, without wrinkle, and the two would become one flesh. She would become the bride, the, the church. And again, we, we can have guys like, I'm part of the bride. I'm the bride. You're not the bride. You're part of the bride of Christ. You're not a bride. You're part of the bride of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. But you see that profound mystery that he came to bring us all into himself, unite us in him that we, the bride of Christ, the church, could be one flesh with him. And it's all throughout the scripture, our union with him or to be united with Christ. We're united with him in his death, his burial and his resurrection as just as a man would leave his father and mother to be joined to his wife and the two become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm talking about Christ and the church, that, that the church doesn't become Christ. Christ is Christ. The church becomes one with unrighteousness into our salvation with him, having his righteousness put on us as a robe that we can wear covering everything that we ever did. He washes us with the water, with the word spoken over us so that we are clean and fitting to be with him for all times and for eternity. In obedience to the Father, He descended down here, condescended down to where we are so that He could do these things for us and that we could be joined with Him, the two becoming one flesh. You as a Christian are united with Christ. You're one with Him and we are one in Him, you and me. You as an individual are in Christ and then we are in Christ together. You and me united with him as a part of the body. We do what the body uh, of Christ, the body of Christ does what Christ does. What is that? We just read about it. He loves the church. He gives himself for her in order that she can. We do the work Again, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we do nothing on our own, but we do the work that he began. He's chosen to carry it forward, at least during this time, through the church and through you and me as individual members of the church. So we do as his body what he does, which is love the church. Give yourself for the body. Provide and care. Nourish to maturity. Bring up warm, cherish with tender love, foster with care. And then you get this picture. You know, if everything's working like it's supposed to, 
And obviously not every, all the time does it. But if everything's working like it's supposed to and husband and wife come together, what happens after that? Multiplication. <laughs> Multiplication. And so Christ, joined with his bride, keeps having these babies. Keeps seeing sons and daughters brought to glory. Translated out of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and his church. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you that you're able to uh, take it and teach any part of it and, and to teach us and admonish us, build us up, and, and to grow our faith so that we can see better what it is that you've done, what it is that you're doing, and what it is that you desire to do in us and through us. We thank you that we're a part of your body, the church, and we thank you that you love us and you gave yourself for us in order to present us as holy and blameless without spot or wrinkle, bringing us into the condition that we, sh that we should have been in the beginning. And I thank you, Lord, that you've called us to follow you, but you've not called us to do it alone. You have joined us and put us in your body right where you see fit, right in the time where you see fit, right in the place where you see fit so that we might know you more and we might glorify you in this life. God, I thank you as, as you deal with us in this wisdom and revelation, this profound mystery of Christ in the church, that we'll see first and foremost how much it is that you've loved us and what all you have already done for us. And Lord, to know that we can trust you and we can submit to you knowing that you did all these things out of your great love and compassion for us. We love you and we thank you. Lord, as we get ready to go today, I thank you that we leave, uh, leave from this place in peace and unity with one another. And as we go into this week, that we'll do so with you in mind, acknowledging you, constantly aware of you and constantly in communication with you. Because we know that you have more yet to minister to us than we can receive during this little bit of time on a Sunday morning that you're speaking. Lord, help us listen. Lord, those that are out from among us traveling, I pray that you bless them and keep them safe, that you bring them safely back to us. Those that are working, Lord, that they would do so as unto you uh, and that people will see their good deeds and glorify their Father in heaven. And Lord, those who are out from among us, among us or even here with us, if there's weakness in the body, Those who are weak would be made strong in you. Those that who, who, who have had weak hands and feeble knees will find them strengthened so that they can set those straight paths for their feet. So what has been lame may not be dislocated, but instead be healed, as we read in Hebrews chapter 12. And God, I think as we prepare for a school year coming up, that you prepare a way. You prepare a way as only you can. Uh, for our young people, the ones going every, every which direction. Lord, that you bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and give them peace. And we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.